So uh, Pastor Bob made a funny uh, this morning. <laughs> I know it's rare, uh, but it happened. Um, just joking. That's, you're so good, man. It's so good. I, no, but Pastor Bob said something this morning that was uh, kind of funny, and he didn't realize how funny it was. I was laughing, but he didn't realize how funny it was. He said, you know, after his announcement about next week vision, and that's what I'll be talking about, he says, I have no idea what he's going to talk about today, but we'll see when we get there. And uh, the, the funny part is, is uh, in some sense, neither do I. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Um, so the, the Lord is, uh, you know, the Lord is, he's a good and awesome and powerful and loving God. And I have uh, experienced uh, new levels of that, I guess, in a sense, or new experiences with that over the last couple of years as your pastor. And uh, especially seeing that in just the weekly preparation for the message and how God just each week, uh, you know, I, I always thought before I became lead pastor, how in the world do you ever come up with a message every week? Like, I mean, that's impossible, right? Is, how's that going to happen? And, you know, I've talked to pastors about that. Oh, yeah, well, it just comes. And, but seldom have they ever given credit to the Spirit. But it's after I got here and I began to do it that I realized how the Holy Spirit each week would, at some point during the week, come to me with kind of the, what he wanted me to focus on that week. And, and even going through a book like, you know, 1 Corinthians, in essence, I know the passage for the next week, but I don't know what the message is going to be until I take it before the Holy Spirit and say, okay, what do you have for this church this week? What do you have for me this week? And so uh, it has been a sweet couple of years having the privilege of every week going before the Lord with these passages and saying, okay, God, what, what do you want me to say here? What is, what is your word for this church, for me and my life today? Um, and so every week he has showed up and he has given, he's helped me to, and it's, you know, it's, it, it, the process starts with, you know, studying the scripture, right? You got to figure out what the passage means, right? You got to figure out, you know, the, you know, the who wrote it and figure out what was going on at the time and cultural, you know, relevance and all these kind of things. But, but really the meat of what I share on Sundays is always like when the Holy Spirit says, okay, now, yeah, this was going on. This is the key truths that are there, but this is what we need to draw out for today. And then that's where the message gets formed around. That's how I create the outline of what I'm going to say and how that's going to all lay out and, and come up with the different illustrations that I'll use or not use or whatever. So that's a beautiful thing. This week, however, he still hasn't given me it. <laughs> unless, you, unless you think that it's because I've been lazy and procrastinated, it's not. I've spent the usual amount of time that I spend every week in preparing a message. But last night at 9 o'clock, I finally said, okay, closed my computer and went to bed. And I said, well, in the morning, maybe he'll bring it out. And uh, so I woke up at 4.30 this morning, and I said, okay, God, I'm ready. And he still was silent. So this morning, you have sermon notes before you, maybe you take those, or maybe you looked on it digitally, and you'll notice that they're, it's blank. Um, <laughs> Let me encourage you that my notes are blank, too. I've got, I got this. That's, that's it. I, nothing else. So don't feel like you're missing out. So with that uh, introduction, uh, my plan this morning uh, is simply to go through the passage section by section and see what the Lord brings to mind as I go through that. I don't expect this. Don't, uh, be I want to be careful here. 
I don't expect that this is going to be anything different than a normal message, a normal sermon or whatever. That's not why I'm telling you this. I'm not trying, oh, well, God's really going to move today. That's not my point. Uh, my point is that God, uh, he's, he's working in me as much as he's working in you. Um, and that for whatever reason this week, this is where he's got me. And uh, so as we go through this, you know what? Praise the Lord. Uh, may his word be uh, expressed truly and rightly. And you know what? If it works and God speaks to you, awesome. It's not, but it's not going to be any different than what we normally do. It, it, it's not, in other words, it's not more spiritual to come up here with no notes than it is to have prepared notes beforehand. That's what I'm saying. All right, let's, let's go. Chapter 12, we will start at the end of that passage. We spent uh, the last couple of weeks uh, the, before the, sec- the sections before, but I wanted to leave this little section for chapter 13 as well because I think it all goes together. So chapter 12, verses, verse 27 to the end of the chapter. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Uh, are all p- apostles? Are, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the, greatest, the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. It is unfortunate that this, this passage has led to many in our Christian world today of focusing on the gifts in a way that I think is not appropriate. We've taken this particular few verses and we have created a theology of spiritual gifts that has kind of elevated certain spiritual gifts above the rest. And I really don't think that that is the point. And I think that scholars, if they are honest with the context of this passage, have to admit that there is something at the very least weird about this passage. Because think about it, the context of 1 Corinthians, over and over again, Paul is uh, addressing their divisions. He's addressing the reality that they, they, they keep dividing over things that they think are important, but he's saying, no, 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 it's, it's not that that's not important. It's not that those are bad things necessarily, but don't let them divide you. Those are okay things that whether you eat meat that was sacrificed to idols or not, you know, I mean, you can have a conviction either way, and neither one is better than the other, but don't let it divide you. You know, some of you think that you should, you should not get married. Others of you think that you should get married. And you know what I mean? There's, that's fine. You can get married if you want, or if you don't want to get married, don't get married. But neither one is better than the other. And don't let your decisions on that divide you. This has been over and over and over again through 1 Corinthians. This is what Paul has been doing. Addressing more and more and every time, every chapter, a new issue that has caused division in their church. 
In chapter 12, just the context of this particular passage, we see, I mean, we just got done last week, right? That we would all recognize that we're all equally valuable, that we're all equally needed, that all of the gifts are needed, that everybody's talents are needed, that they're all valuable, that there's not this, oh, you're better than that person. And so, you know, the head can walk around and say, I don't need that foot. No, he's saying, no, 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 wait a second. We're all in need of each other. There's no hierarchy in God's family. This is the context of these verses. And yet, some of us want to take these verses out of that context and apply a different perspective to it. Want to say, oh no, well now Paul twists, changed things. Now Paul says, oh, now let me tell you about the hierarchy of spiritual gifts. Let me tell you about how apostles are, they're the first, they're number one. And number two, that's prophets. And then number three, that's teachers. If we read it that way, do you recognize, can, can we recognize how that contradicts everything that Paul has just been writing about? And so I don't think that is a legitimate way to look at this passage. I think, you know, even the numbering thing, I think this is, Paul is talking about how they as a church experienced it. First, the apostles came to them. And then there were prophets that came to them as a church and helped them to understand the truth. And then there were teachers that came and they were able to experience that. So it's not so much that the apostles are number one. This is, hey, this is the, this is the order that you received these gifts. And as far as the verse that says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Again, in this context, how can we see that as being pointing to some hierarchy in the spiritual gifts? I think perhaps this might be a quotation by Paul. I think Paul might be going, this is what they're saying. But earnestly hire, but you're earnestly hiring the higher gifts. That you're earnestly desiring the higher gifts, almost like kind of just mocking them in a sense. Ah, oh, but earnestly hire, desire the higher gifts. It might be that, but even if there is some room for a sense of hierarchy, we cannot ignore the rest of that verse. But earnestly desire the great higher gifts. And I will show you the more excellent way. Or to put it another way, I will show you what is the higher gift. And what is the higher gift? Chapter 13, love. Notice he continues to talk about spiritual gifts. This Again, leads us to look back and go, oh, he must not be talking about a hierarchy. He's actually, you know, he's trying to help us to understand what he means. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a, sim, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to m remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, 
And if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is making it clear that love is the highest gift. That's the gift that we need to strive for. The the Corinthians were going around and saying, look at me. Look at this amazing ability I have to speak tongues or to to give prophecy or or to heal others or whatever it may be, to interpret tongues. And he's saying, no, 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 wait a second. What are you doing? They were actually using that as a a reason to divide over. They, They were proud of it. Look what I can do, right? And they would come up on stage in essence and like begin to do their speaking in tongues or prophesying. And you'll see in chapter 14 that it's just chaos because everyone's trying to get attention. Everybody's trying to say, look what I can do. Look what I have. And Paul's like, what are you doing? This is not why you've been given gifts. The gifts shouldn't divide. We need to strive for the higher gift, which is love, which puts everything else in context. When we understand that it's about love first and foremost, then it it qualifies the gifts. The gifts aren't to build ourselves up. The gifts aren't to make me look good. The gifts aren't to make me feel like God loves me more. Gifts are an opportunity to love. To love people. Also, I, I would note that, you know, oftentimes we look at this, this, these passages and say that, that we have to be loving when we're using these gifts. But I, I think that's true, but I think there's another angle to look at it. I, I think we have to understand that God is love. And that we have to be in relationship with Him. That, that in order to use the spiritual gifts correctly, we need to have love. We need to be walking side by side with love. We need to understand love. You know, the reality is, is we we, we, we don't know what love is until we've experienced it. We need to know love better. We need to understand better. And only what we have received are we able to give. And so the call here is, is not just to be loving, but the call, I think, is also to be next to love. That we would be focused on Him And as we are focused on him, he will empower us to do the loving things that he's empowered us to do. In order to build up the church. In order to edify the believers. Having talked about love, you can tell that there's there's a debate going on in this church. In the community, in the culture at large. Because then he's like, we need to make sure we're clear on this one. I want to make sure that you all understand what love is. Similar to our culture today, there's a lot of definitions of love in the Corinthian church and in the culture of that day. And so so that's why we get this next section. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Our culture has defined love in a lot of different ways. It's defined, you know, and when I say culture, I, 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 want, to, I want to back off from, from everyone in our culture because it's not the whole culture at large. We have influencers of our culture that are trying to define love for us. Of course, Hollywood and our media, politicians, people of power, they always want to pre- pre- present love in certain definitions that they have come up with that seem to work well for them. For a long time, love was just about feeling. It's just about how you feel. If you feel loved, then you're loved. If you don't feel loved, then you're not loved. And so it's all about feeling, you know, loved. And so we have, you know, people who can fall in love, but they can then also fall out of love. And our divorce rate skyrockets over that kind of perspective of love. Because now it's not a choice. Now it's just something that, oh, well, you know, it's just an emotion. If I'm feeling it, then I must have it. If I don't, then I must not have it. And if I don't have it, then that's a problem, right? And then we, gotta, we should change things. Got to mix it up, right? Because I've lost my love. You've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Um, or I guess I should thank Top Gun, right? Um, so, so love is seen as a feeling. Matter of fact, to the extent that if we, that if we, that we're not to do anything that would make someone feel bad. That, that if you're doing something that makes somebody else feel bad, then that's not love. And, and, and although there's some maybe aspects of truth to that, that's not the full scope of what love is. Sometimes love hurts. Sometimes we have to discipline our children because we love them. You know, our culture tells us no boundaries. Let our kids do everything and anything they want. I heard a new law that was passed in the Senate, I think, this is California, right? About you know, the reality that, okay, well now, now if a kid does not listen to the instructions of the teacher, doesn't obey, can't do anything about it. Can't expel him, can't kick him out of the classroom. We just got to let him do whatever he wants to do. I mean, the idea about this is that that's the loving thing to do. We just need to let people just live. It's okay, right? You know? And so we just step back and we just let that happen. And because, you know, to set a boundary, to, to have discipline, no, that, that is just mean. That's not love. But we all know that's not true. The culture also likes to say sometimes that love is about tolerance. You know, that we just live and let live. I mean, if, if they don't, if their life isn't impacting you, what's the big deal? You know, the, the real loving thing to do is not to give your opinion, but just to stand back and let them do their thing. Another perspective of love is that, and this is maybe the more uh, current uh, kind of thing that's getting pushed, is the idea that love is acceptance, support, and promotion. That we not only need to accept people as they are, but we need to support them as they are, and we even need to go to the level of promoting them as they are. And this goes into the area of evil and sin. That, that, that somehow, because they are, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, well, they're a victim, you know. It's, it's no one's fault. 
And if they're a victim, well then, I mean, how can we really expect them to live differently? How can we expect them to live righteously, to, to do good things? I mean, if a thief, you know, is grown up and he's poor and he doesn't have anything else, and so this is the way he gets food is to go steal stuff from the store, I mean, who are we to say, oh, I mean, come on, I mean, if we were in that situation, wouldn't we do the same thing? So let's just give him a break, but then it goes beyond that, and we're going to promote, you know what, yeah, go ahead, you can steal, we're not even going to put you in jail, it's all right, just do whatever you want. It's, you know what, we understand, you're in a tough spot, and, and this is just a way it is we justify now their sin as well and this is set up as this is loving but all we're doing is promoting evil we're allowing evil to just reign so God gives us love he says that love is first of all it's about relationship the context of love is in relationship that, that first of all that we have to have that relationship with him said this before, but the reality is we don't know love until we know him. Now, he's done a lot of loving things for us before we ever became a Christian, but we don't understand the full scope of that reality and we're unable to pass that love onto others until we actually enter that relationship with him. We understand what it is. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people who are non-Christians who do loving things. But they're not understanding that love. They're only able to give a selfish kind of love. They're only able to give a love that comes from something other than God. And true love only comes from God. Love is not just a relationship, it's also sacrificial. It's not about, love is not about what makes me happy. Love is not so that I can feel loved. And sometimes that's the motivation for our love, right? I'm going to love this person so that they'll love me in return. That is not, that's not true love. That's not God's love for us. And that's what this passage is talking about. No, no, we need to understand that love is sacrificial. It's unselfish. It's about giving of myself to another person, totally free of charge. There's no expectation that they love me back. Trust me, this is really hard to do. We know this, Right? Loving in this way, sacrificially unselfish, is really hard. Because everything inside of us wants to receive back. We want, we, in, every, in our whole community, our whole culture is set up so that you give and you get back. You know, give and take. You know, give and then you get back. Our relationships are all set on this, right? I don't know how many people I've heard that, you know, uh, that talk about the reality that they, they get frustrated with a spouse maybe or with a friend who isn't loving them the way they want to be loved. And they get frustrated with that and begin to demand it. This person needs to love me the way I need to be loved. They need to do these things for me because I deserve to be loved. We do deserve to be loved and we're loved by God our Father. But you know what? When we're loved by God our Father, that means we don't need the love of anyone else. What we need is to show love, his love to everyone else. What we don't get is that the the biblical understanding of love is that love is not something we demand from someone else, but love is something that we give freely to someone else. That we would not expect others to love us the way we want to be loved, but that we would expect us to love them the way that God has loved us. We get this example from Jesus. He loved us. 
He died for us with no expectation that we're going to love him back. Knowing that most of us won't love him back. But he still did it. And that's the kind of love that he calls us to. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the, per- when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And love is eternal. Now again, it's talking about spiritual gifts. Paul's like, Okay, yeah, prophecy is a great thing, but it's going to go away. You know, tongues are a great thing, but they're, they're going to cease. I, I mean, we, these, are, these are important parts of what we're doing, you know, in, in part of ministry, but they're all going to end. It, it reminds me of uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, where he's talking about wealth of this world. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's like Paul's now saying, okay, let's talk about our spiritual lives. Do not store up for yourselves treasures of spiritual gifts, of being able to prophesy and speak in tongues and do all kinds of miracles and healings. Instead, store up for yourself love that we would recognize that love is what is forever. The spiritual gifts have a temporary impact. Love has an eternal impact. Not only will we enjoy love for all of eternity, But the things that we do that are loving today, true love today, has ramifications for all of eternity. A spiritual gift that's done without love will have impact today, but it'll die out before tomorrow. But when we love people, with our spiritual gift or without just just being a human being, that impact extends for all of eternity. That we would recognize that it, spiritual gifts, gifts are important. Yet God has given us abilities and talents that we need to use for the furtherance of his kingdom in the church and outside of the church. But they're not about us. They're about his kingdom. And his kingdom is based in love. Not my you know, ability to speak in tongues or my ability to prophesy or my ability to heal people. Those are ways that God will show love. But even then, it's not about the power. It's not about the spirit. 
spiritual gifts. I'm reminded of a, a term. I'm, I'm a golfer. Some of, you, some of you are golfers as well, which is awesome. Um, it's a great game if you haven't played. It's also a very frustrating game if you haven't played. So if you want to get frustrated, go play golf sometime. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, what, are those, what are those big golf you know, driving range places called? They have one in Sacramento. What's it called? Um, golf, pro golf, what? Uh, what Top golf, thank you. Yes, top golf. Top golf. I went to one of those in San Antonio first time. You know, they've created those to try to make something that's really frustrating more fun. I mean, if you put enough holes out there, right, then anybody can hit it, right? I mean, hey, I got it in a hole, woo, right? You know, I mean, that's. But this is reality. You know, and they're on on a golf course, they only have one hole per hole, right? So there's one. When you when you hit the ball, you got to get to that one spot. Not not a hundred different spots and you don't get points for hitting it in the woods and you know that kind of stuff so anyway golf has there's a saying in golf and, and it, it reminds me I'm reminded of it because of this kind of spiritual gifts versus love thing drive for show putt for dough so if you don't know golf very much let me explain it so drive for show putt for dough this is something that is my dad used to tell me this all the time I don't know why he's kind of a jerk that way but anyway um, so <laughs> drive for show putt for dough Okay, and what it means basically is that, you know, there's, there's, you know tr- when you drive, driving is what you do first. You get to the tee box, and there's, you know, the whole 200, 300, 400 yards, 500 yards, sometimes 600 yards that way. And so you start at the tee box, and you have a, a club that has got this big, huge head on it that is meant to hit the ball as far as possible, right? So that's driving. That's what it's called, driving. So you, you, you drive for show is what he means by that. It, what it means is that, you know, some people really get really good at driving, because, you know, at the tee box, first of all, oftentimes there's a lot of other people around watching, right? You know, once you get out on the hole, you're kind of by yourself and you're in the weeds and no one's watching and you're just hacking away, right? And it doesn't matter. But on the tee box, right, you've got a perfect line. You've got usually, you know, an audience, at least the other guys in your foursome that are there. And so driving for show is like you want to hit that ball and so it just booms out there and goes a long ways and you kind of, hey, 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 yeah, hit that one, right, you know? And so it's kind of a show-off moment, right? Putt for dough, though, the point of that is that actually half of our strokes are, should happen on the green with a little tiny, you know, stick with a flat head on it that you try to putt it into that little hole, right? Half of your strokes, you know, when they set apart, half of the strokes are on the green. And the reality is, drive for show, some guys are really worried about making themselves look really good on the tee box, but they're really bad putters but the putters are the one who putts for the money. In other words, if you're a good putter, you're going to be a good golfer. You're going to win tournaments. You're going to, you know, yeah, I mean, and it's true. I mean, the best golfer, best putters in golf generally are your best golfers. Now, it's true you have to get off the tee. Yeah, I mean, if you hit into the woods every time, right, it's a problem, right? So you do have to, but it's not about the show. And this is, I think, where the Corinthians were in their understanding of spiritual gifts. They, they wanted to drive for show. They... They wanted to get, you know, all the kudos, look what I can do. And hey, you know, and they're standing on the tee box going, did you see that? Oh my gosh. I've never spoken tongues like that before. That was amazing. That just was coming out. I didn't know what to do with it, man. It was amazing. <laughs> did you see that guy I just healed? I mean, I've healed a lot of things, but I've never healed a pinky toe. That was amazing, man. It just like straightened out. And it was amazing. Anyway, right? 
So there, the idea is here that spiritual gifts were the driving for show. And, and then Paul saying, no, 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 what are you doing? You may be great at driving, but you're horrible at putting. And you're losing the game because you don't know how to putt. That we would recognize, and that they would recognize that love, that's, that's where the game is won. That we would recognize that we have to learn what love is all about by first of all understanding the one who is love. And as we get to know the one who is love, we will then be able to love others in a way that will bring glory to God and not to us. Worship team, won't you come on up? Well, that wasn't so bad, I guess. A lot more cotton mouth than I usually am, but that's, you know what? May we be a church that becomes really good putters, yeah. And, and here's the deal. I, we, we are. Um, we are. I, uh, I'm so proud to be a part of this community because you guys do, first of all, know the one who is love, and you're really good at sharing that love with others. Shared it with me, but also with so many that walk through the doors of this church and walk through the doors of your homes. Thank you for doing that. Let me encourage you that sometimes we can look at the other churches or the other Christians around us, and they have all of these dramatic abilities and talents and skills and we can start to feel like, God, why don't, why, why don't I have that? Or feel like, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? Why, why haven't you given me that ability? But let me encourage you, don't, don't fall for that. If you're loving Jesus well and allowing his love to flow through, you're doing what's right. That's what it's about. That's what's going to matter for all eternity not whether you spoke in tongues or could heal people or any of that. Let's be proud of our Father who loves us well and gives us the privilege of loving others well. Stand and close our services.